Okay, well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 13, 17 through 19, and then we'll finish the book uh, book uh, next week and then start First Peter. Uh, that's, that's the plan for this class. Um, that's where we're planning to go and what we're planning to do. So this morning we're going to be looking at uh, at uh, this uh, these these three verses, which are the final imperatives in this series of imperatives that he started in in verse seven, and uh, we'll be looking at uh, we'll be looking at uh, the final two that he's going to give here, and uh, uh, he's going to go back to the topic of leaders. So we'll probably spend some time talking about that, and. Uh, 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 and and do a little bit of uh, some fill in around the around the corners of a couple of things here. Just keep in mind that this was a this is a congregation that uh, that is Jewish. It is outside of Jerusalem. We're not sure exactly whether it's in the Greek world or whether it's in Rome. There's been some debate on those kind of things. I tend to think it's not in Rome, but nevertheless, that's. Uh, that that's that's kind of beside the point at this point. There, it's outside of Jerusalem. Uh, it is prior to the fall of uh, of Jerusalem. It's prior to the fall of the temple, which kind of explains why some of these Jewish people who have embraced Christ are still trying to hold on to Jewish traditions. The temple, the priesthood, all that stuff is ingrained in their souls. You know, they've they've known it since they were babies they've been been practicing these these things and they they're having a struggle letting go of that and there's a number of warning passages throughout the book that that calls them to to uh, move on in in reality they're they're being told no that era is past christ has come he paid the price he is now the high priest he is now the priesthood and all sacrifices wound wound up in him he fulfilled them he fulfilled the whole of the old covenant uh, um, uh, law that uh, and, and that no longer that no longer all that ceremonial stuff is no longer and primarily we're talking about the ceremonial stuff uh, is no longer valid and and uh, there is a number that are still having issues with that. And to that, the author of Hebrews, uh, that is his address. That's what he's addressing as he comes to it. So that's where we're going to uh, we're going to be looking at these final these final uh, some of these final verses before we get into the benediction and the final greeting, and uh, which we will deal with next week. So we're, there's two imperatives that he's going to bring up here, and we're going to look at those in in just a moment. So uh, do we have any prayer requests this morning? That Yeah. Yes. Um, <clears throat> Rebecca had a job interview. Rebecca, my daughter, had a job interview last week, and um, she hasn't heard back. She said it was a good interview. She hasn't heard back yet. So just God's will in that, and she's not feeling well today. That's why she's not here. So please yeah. pray for Rebecca. And then I have a job interview tomorrow afternoon. Um, so I would really appreciate your prayers that I present myself well. <clears throat> I'm sure you will. Well... <laughs> The last one, I sure didn't. <laughs> but anyway. Had a couple of those, too, in my career. <laughs> Michael, would you open us this morning? Lord, I would just thank you for this day, for this uh, time of fellowship and uh, time to study your word. pray that uh, we may each continually learn to grow and walk in your ways. 
Amen. So um, the first thing I want to do is look at verse 17, in which uh, I entitle that the command. Both of these sections are imperatives, but this one is, is very specific in its command. And, and so uh, at any rate, uh, it begins, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they, for they keep watch over your souls, so that they who, give, who, who, who will have to give an account, let them do it with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Um, he, he comes back to the subject of leaders here. Leaders are mentioned three times in chapter 13. They're mentioned in verse 7, and they'll be mentioned again in verse 24. And here he, he comes back to them again with some very specific instructions here. And this, this, this uh, configuration of words to, to obey and submit is an imperative. It's, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. And, uh, uh, and, and here he is, he's coming back. And if you remember, we talked about the ones, the, the leaders he spoke of in verse 7, as those who are past. They are the probably the founding leaders of this particular assembly or set of assemblies that meet in this area. And they were the the, uh, the leaders at that time, they have now passed from the scene. I was kind of thinking about that, and given the, where we are in the book and who these people are, uh, more than likely, some of those past leaders were there at Pentecost. They were there when Acts 2 took place. Some of them probably heard Peter. Some of them probably sat under the teaching of the apostles. And, and if, we, if you remember, you go back to it, those are the ones who brought the word to these people. And, and maybe even some of them were there as well. Because we're only 35 years, maybe, away from Pentecost. Uh, we're only, that's, that's all the farther we are at this juncture. And, and uh, uh, I got fascinated by the fact of Pentecost. Pentecost is also known as, it has several names, the Feast of Weeks, the, Fr- Feast, of, the Feast of First Fruits. Uh, it basically was a, the second of three pilgrimages that, uh, that were, uh, were required of the Hebrews. It was, and it gets its name from the fact that it means 50 days, and it was celebrated. 50 days after the, the offering of the barley sheaves at Passover. That's, that's its picture. And it's a first fruits offering. It basically encompassed the seven weeks a barley harvest in Palestine in that day. And, and basically Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 16, indicates that it would be a second Sabbath. In other words, on the, the last Sabbath of the seven weeks, the next day, the next Sunday, was to be practiced as a Sabbath, and that was to be the day which this, this uh, first fruits offering was to be celebrated. So it's, it's kind of a significant, kind of a significant, uh, a, a significant celebration. Uh, and it's the one God picked to born, uh, to give birth to the church. Uh, which incidentally, if you count all that up, you understand that that kind of fits because Jesus was sacrificed at Passover. The harvest time has finished and the first fruits offering. He's arisen. 
the church is born. So that's that's kind of all the significance that is tied with that. And and we and we also talked about the fact that when he says leaders here, he doesn't give specific title to them, but it's obvious he is a talking about those men who are the elders of the church, the overseers, the pastors. And and that's those are the men he is talking about. He doesn't he doesn't use the technical terms here. He just calls them leaders. They're the ones who lead the church. That's who leads the church. Uh, Acts 20, 17 through 17 and verse 28 and 1 Peter 5, 2. In both of those places, all three of those titles are applied to the same group of men. They are called elders, overseers, and pastors or shepherds. A pastor basically is the Latin alliteration of the word poimen, which means shepherd. So that's that's where we get it from. Uh, episkopos, uh, of course, is the overseers, and presbyteros is uh, uh, the word for elder. I've I've always kind of my simplistic mind has always said I see this these roles in this way. Uh, elder speaks to the quality and character of the man involved. Uh, overseer speaks to his job duties and shepherd speaks to how he does them you know that's kind of the way it it comes out he does it like a tender shepherd caring for his flock which also includes some of the job description of feeding and and guarding and protecting and 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 nurturing and all of that kind of thing but that's the idea here that's the idea here and he calls them in, in verses 7 through 16, to be mindful, that literally was the translation, is to be mindful of those leaders and to remember what they had done, remember what those true leaders were that established this church, who served God and who brought the gospel to them. And then he secondly tells them that they're to remember the teaching, they're to, to be fixed on what the true teaching of Scripture is. And that's 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 uh, another imperative, that they have to hold to true teaching and, and, and then Thirdly, they were to they were to hold a true worship. Uh, they were to worship God and God alone, and to worship Him in in truth. That uh, that was the uh, the ideas that were were not uh, that were expressed then, and that was all imperatives. Those were all commands. And now He's going to give us two more imperatives, and the first one is to obey and to submit. Those are the two words that he uses. These are kind of interesting terms. They're, um, one of them is not the normal term that you would think of, and we're, we're going to talk about that a little bit. It says, obey your leaders. This word obey actually means to have been persuaded by or, or have confidence in. That's the idea of this word. It, it, it conveys the idea uh, that leaders are to be men that can be trusted to lead. You're to have confidence in them. Uh, you're to put your confidence in these men. Uh, they they have, have been demonstrated to be true men of God who are, can be followed, and we can, have, can, uh, we, can, we can have confidence in their leadership. And then as a result of having that confidence, we're to submit. That's the next word. Now, submit is a word that runs throughout Scripture. It's used. Uh, it's used for a, a number of different uh, a diff- in a number of different places. Uh, Jesus in the incarnation was in submission to the Father. Luke chapter twenty-two, verse forty-two. Uh, the church is to be in submission to Jesus. Chapter uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse twenty-four. Uh, all believers are to be in submission to God. James four seven. I did get James in. See. Uh, believers are to be in submission to one another 
Ephesians 5.21. And uh, there, was to, there is to be submission within the household of Christian believers. Ephesians chapter, chapter 5.22 through 6.9. Interestingly enough, in all of these cases, the standard words for submission, the standard Greek word for submission is what is being used, which is hupotoso, uh, which uh, basically is a military word. It means to line up in rank. Uh, if you're not familiar, you've probably seen a military formation. Basically, if, uh, if I might use an infantry company as an example, uh, the commanding officer stands in front. The sar- first sergeant stands one step behind him to his side. He stands in front of the five platoons, which are three rifle platoons, one weapons platoon, and one medical platoon. And each of those platoons has a command, uh, a, 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 excuse me, a platoon leader in front of him with a platoon sergeant standing one step back to his side. And behind them are lined the squads, the rifle squads, the weapon squads, the medical squad. And each of those has probably a sergeant E5, maybe E6, standing at the, at the right side, and they're lined up in rank behind them. That's what this talks about. That's what this word submission means. It means to be lined up like a military unit, uh, to be ready to, to function, ready to operate because you're in submission. You're lined up under the rank of authority. It speaks of authority. That's what it speaks of. It speaks of following the chain of command, if you will. Um, however, here in 317, it's a different word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's a different word. However. It's hupiko. And this word means to yield. It has the idea of yielding under that authority. of pl- Not simply standing in your place in rank but to yield to the authority God has placed over you. It has just a slightly different nuance uh, to the idea of submission here. Uh, And and that that yielding is is that we are to yield to the authority of the leaders God has placed over us because we have confidence. We've been persuaded that they are trustworthy and in obedience to Christ, who is the true shepherd. That's really the idea of this word. It just has a little subtle difference to to how we relate to those leaders in the church. Because here's the other thing about it. You need to you need to understand elders are pastors, they're men. Uh, they're men. Like you and me, they can be wrong. They can come up with bad decisions. Uh, you may disagree with them. Is the idea is how are you going to act? How are you going to behave? How are you going to respond to that? I remember uh, when I was in, well, right before I had gone to seminary, um, Grace Community Church down south had decided to build a building. Some of you may remember it. It was a three-story building was out back that now is a huge complex that houses the seminary and all kinds of stuff. But when I was there, it was just three stories with three classrooms on each story. And, uh, uh, or maybe it was four. But it, whatever it was, it, that's what it was. But at any rate, they had a, the, the elders had proposed a pretty grandiose building. And they put out to raise funds for it. Nobody gave to it. So they said, oh, and they went back and reconsidered and they came up with that building and they had the money in no time. You know, so sometimes 
you know, maybe elder rule, but the congregation does speak once in a while. <laughs> but, but see, you can disagree. Sometimes they make a mistake. Uh, th- that's true. But in the normal run of things, that isn't true. We're to yield and to obey. Uh, and, and, of course, the discipline of an elder is very specific. You don't go home and complain about the pastor, staff, the elders of the church. You don't do that. You don't lodge a complaint against an elder. It's not good for you. It's it's a bad, and it's bad for the whole congregation. The fact of the matter is, if there is an issue with an elder, it is to be dealt with very specifically. 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 5, verses 17 through 21 tells us how it's to be done. It's to be well investigated, first of all. It's to be confirmed. It's not just Tom Brown went in and said, you know... Pastor Jones did thus and so, and I don't like it, you know, and then you just go and go wild with that. That's that's not the way it works. It's to be investigated, it's to be checked. And then if it's found to be true, the elder is disciplined in front of the whole assembly. I've had one time in my existence, in my time in church leadership, which covered a period of approximately 35 years, uh, that we had to actually discipline an elder. And actually, it was a senior pastor. Uh, it wasn't anything. It wasn't anything moral. It was an error in judgment and and deportment. I guess you would say uh, there had been an incident in the church that the elders had. It had not come fully to their attention. Only a few of them knew about it. None of them. Had, we hadn't. It just happened, and we hadn't come together to plan a course of action and to deal with the individual involved who had caused this disruption, major disruption in the church, and had done some, actually done some illegal things, and, and, and we had to deal with it. And uh, uh, the pastor, for some reason, got it in his head to go tell everybody in the church about what happened, which is... You don't do that. You just don't do that. He, I mean, not the other elders. He went and told the congregation, individual members. And those people were highly offended. And we had to deal with that. It was a tense moment, and I thank God every day for Dr. Busnitz at the Master Sim, Irv, not Nathan. Nathan was 10 years old then. Uh, but uh, but uh, Irv Busnitz, because I went to him and I said, what do I do? I don't have a clue what to do. You know, how do we how do we deal with this? I've got uh, one of one of our elders was uh, ready to have him hung, literally. Uh, and this was a guy that, you know, he had a seminary degree and he had pastored and he had been a chaplain in the military. And he was he was ready to have him shot. And uh, 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 we followed his advice. We we got together. We had a meeting with him. We let him explain what happened. And then we told him what the outcome was. And the guy repented instantly. You know, and then we went to the congregation and and we all stood with him and apologized. It worked out well, but that's the way it's done. It's not done. It's not done. You know, behind the scenes, it's not done. It's not done in private. I mean, it's not done in gossip form, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It's a very specific thing. These men are to be obeyed and they are to be submitted to. That's, that's the point here. Uh, that's what we're saying. They are men who we have put our trust into because they have established the ability for us to have confidence in them. And as a result of that, we yield to their authority under God over the assembly. 
That's that's what uh, that's what he's saying here. And he's he's making that a command. And then he goes on and he says he says four. And that four is very important because that four says this is why. Here's why. Here's why you're to here's why you're to obey and to submit. They have watch over your souls. That's why. God has placed the church leadership, the elders, the pastoral staff, which they're included in that. They're not separate. They're all part of it. Um, Those words are all interchangeable. They're all the same group of men. It's the whole the whole group of them. Um, Those men have been charged with God to watch over us, to protect us, to guard us. You look, you go back to Acts chapter 20, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders. And and what does he tell them? He says, to be on guard for yourself and for the whole flock of God, of whom he has made you an overseer. And then he goes on to say, because there are going to be attacks from the outside and the inside. And you have to be alert and you have to be conscientious and you have to be uh, uh, um, ready to defend all the time. It also means something kind of interesting that probably most of us don't pay any attention to, but you've got to know what's going on in the Christian world because those attacks from inside, you never know when one of those is going to hit. You've got to be alert of what, you know, because anybody can publish a book. And then somebody in your congregation gets that book and starts reading that book and then starts telling other people, oh, look at this, and it's total heresy because they don't have the discernment to understand that. You have to be up on all that stuff. You have to keep up with what's going on. You have to keep up with what is happening around, uh, what the ramifications of this stuff is in order to protect, in order to guard, in order to keep, keep it out. And to correct it. That's the, that's the idea here. He says, they have watch over your soul. He says, he says, you need to obey them and you need to submit to them because they have watch over your souls. They are the first line of defense for you. Well, you're the first line of defense. But they're the, they're the guards. They're the guys who stand watch. Uh, they're the guys who, who, who make the stand on your behalf. They have... They are the guardians. Ezekiel chapter three, uh, he was placed as a guardian for the for the uh, uh, the nation of Israel. In chapter three, verses seventeen through eighteen, he says, "Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I <clears throat> if I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning nor speak." To warn the wicked, or, or nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked ways in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hands. In other words, there's a very serious element to this guardianship. If you're not doing your job, you answer to God for it. That's what this is saying. If you're not paying attention, if you don't warn when I tell you to warn, if you don't stand in the gap when I tell you to do so, if you go, no, I'm going to the Dodger game. No offense. <laughs> you know, uh, then, then the fact of the matter is, 
you have an accountability. You're going to answer that. We're going to talk about accountability just a little bit more here in, in, in just a minute. Uh, and note, and you note in chapter 13, verse 9, he makes it very clear that these people needed this kind of leadership. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, which, which has no benefit for those who are devoted to it. In other words, he is saying in that context, what he is saying there, that some of these in this, this assembly were more interested in keeping food regulations than they were serving Christ. Ultimately, they were being they were being led away by legalistic doctrines uh, that did no had no benefit. And he's calling them to be careful of that. First Peter five, one through four, he says to shepherd the flock of God. That's what they're called to do. Shepherd. One of the major jobs of the shepherd was the night watch to keep the the uh, predators away from the sheep. Sheep are not very good at defending themselves. And, and, and he's basically saying, uh, you've got to shepherd, shepherd the flock of God, guard them, protect them. That's the idea. Nextly, he goes on in this, in this verse, and he says, that watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The next thing it says here is, the shepherds, have an accountability before God for those whom they shepherd. Now, this doesn't take away the fact that each one of us are individually accountable to God and will answer to him. Don't understand that. That doesn't mean you can say, hey, you know, if they're not watching, I can do whatever I want and I can get away with it. No, that's not what it means. It means that as an assembly, our staff of elders has a responsibility to watch over us carefully, and there is a day of reckoning in which they will stand before God, and they will tell, they will give an account of their leadership. Now, I'm going to tell you, <clears throat> I get nervous at that verse because I spent 35 years in leadership, and there were some times it may have not been very good. You know, I, I look back on it sometimes and think, in the early days, I was far too young; I shouldn't have been there, but. That was the way things were then. But, uh, but uh, 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 you wonder about that. You see things that happened. And what if I had done this or what if I had done that? You know, maybe I should have done this. For the most part, I can say with this author, my conscience is relatively clear, but not completely, I think. But nevertheless, that's, that's what he's saying here. He says these guys are going to give an account. Uh, three, uh, As I said, in chapter 3, of Hebrews verse 13, the author had already told them of their accountability, and we need to keep that in mind. Uh, this doesn't, doesn't extinguish that. Uh, in verse 13, it says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. That's, that's just the case. That's part of our responsibility to one another is to not be hardened by sin because we have an accountability. That's that's the idea here. But they have an accountability. They have an oversight of the con- congregation. And and they and, and 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 he goes on to tell them, make sure they're able to do it with joy. You know, make sure they're able to do it with joy. 
It can be a very rewarding and very fulfilling thing to, to uh, be a leader in an assembly that is serving God and worshiping. Oh, there's always going to be issues. There's always going to be somebody with problems. There's always going to be somebody with difficulties. We're not, we're not saying that there, there are never any of that. But basically a congregation that wants to serve God. You know, that you see that, that you can see this is a congregation that is not about selling, serving self, but is about serving God, it is interested in spreading the gospel and doing what God has called it to do. Where the, where the membership functions, I remember as coming up as a child, I was raised in the, uh, in the Methodist church, United Methodist Church, and they had already gone out to lunch at that uh, at that point. And I remember my impression of church was the pastor did everything. Nobody else did anything. Well, there was a couple of Sunday school teachers, you know, but for the most part, the pastor ran everything. Oh, yeah, they had these guys. They had a board of trustees, I think, and they had a board of deacons. And what the deacons did is I remember them coming around once a year and sitting down with my dad and him signing a pledge card to how much money he was going to give for the year. But that's about it. You know, that was, that was my impression of church. And I thought, this is weird. This is strange. This doesn't seem right. Even as a child, I didn't think that was right. But it's not right because the church is a functioning body and every member is, is needed to make it function. And it's the responsibility of the elders to see to it that's going on. I'm very thankful to have come to this church because you experience that here. That is what's happening here. And, and I've been places where it didn't. And, and, uh, and it, was hard to, it was hard to lead in those places. It was hard to get people motivated. It was hard to get them to, to, to rightly serve their God. And, 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 and he's saying here, let them do it with joy. John wrote in Third John 4, he said, I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children are walking in the truth. You know, and... I, I, Fortunately, during my lifetime and during my time of teaching and, and, and leading, I, I have had people come up to me. I've, I had a lady come up to me one day and said, you're the reason I know who Jesus is. You know, there's nothing more joyful than have somebody tell you that. <laughs> to have someone say that to you is like all. And, and you need to understand that this lady, there were nights I was on the phone with her for hours. <laughs> because she was so troubled. But she came up to me and said, you're the reason I know Jesus. I had another lady, this other lady one time, she, she got mad at me in class. And she didn't come for two years. She didn't go away from the church, but she was mad at me. Basically because she wanted me to tell her that, and she had relatives that had served in World War II, that any men who served in World War II had an automatic free pass. They were saved because of their military service. And I told her, I said, well, you're including the Italians, the Germans, the Russians, and the Japanese too? And she got mad at me. I might have been a little bit of a smart aleck, but anyway, she got mad at me. And I go, no, that doesn't, that doesn't save you, you know. Two years later, she's back in class and, and became 
became a very faithful servant in, in the church. And you look at that and you go, that's a joy, because sometimes you really have to struggle with people. You really, they give you a hard time. You know, they give you a real hard time. But as John said, I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. That's what an elder wants to see. That's what he wants. That's the, that's part of his reward is seeing people serving Jesus Christ, seeing them, seeing them arise to that moment. I, I can only imagine the joy Pastor Steve had last week when he got to install Joe as pastor in that church. What a privilege. I've been on an ordination board before and ordained a guy. That's a, it's just a, an exhilarating time, you know, just an exhilarating time to, to have those kind of things, to see those things happen. And he said, he goes on and he says, let it be with joy. That's the good side of it. He says, not with groaning. This word groaning, which he says has no advantage for you, actually uh, depicts depicts uh, uh, unexpressed inward groaning. It's the pain leaders bear in private in the night before the Lord because of the troublemakers in the church. That's 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 what it is. That's what it's saying. It says. It's 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 the idea of those who fight against, who don't yield, who don't obey. And I've I've seen this too. I've seen this too. Um, I we had an incident that caused a church split, and this was when I was I was in a Baptist church at that time that still had the pastor deacon relationship, which I mean this incident told me why that relationship was absolutely wrong but uh, Robert's rules of order could overrule the Bible I don't know if you're familiar with Robert's rules of order but you know it may be okay for Congress but even they don't obey it but nevertheless even less even nevertheless it's not how you run a church and we had a guy who didn't like the pastor the reason he didn't like the pastor is because he refused to marry him because he and the woman he was going to marry were divorced as Christians and he wouldn't wouldn't marry divorced Christians. He wouldn't he wouldn't do it. It was just that was his policy. And as a result of that, this guy leveled his sights at him. Now you have to understand this guy was a very prominent kind of guy and he had, this was a CBA church, Conservative Baptist of America. Um, and uh, uh, he uh, he had he had managed to maneuver himself into positions with the, the CBA wasn't really it was a non-denomination denomination you know what I mean uh, they didn't really rule the local church but they still had boards over things and and he had worked his way into these boards he'd worked his way into these boards so he had prominence and a lot of people in the church had respect for him even though he was a devil but nevertheless nevertheless he used Robert's rules of order to call a meeting in which he managed he tried to basically cause a church coup to force the pastor out he was successful and he came on the board and he started causing trouble almost instantly um, somewhere along the line and I, I give you this as a warning this was my warning this is my this is what I call introduction to church leadership 101 somewhere along the line he got cancer 
uh, he went to he went to the hospital. They did a surgery on him. They said they got it all. He came back to the board. Um, he uh, immediately started in again because he was trying to he was really trying to control everything, and he started in again. And we basically confronted him in a meeting. The rest of the the rest of the De- they were deacons at that time. They they were fed up with with his shenanigans, and they we confronted him. And these are the words he said, quote, unquote, none of you will ever force me off this board. And he walked out the door. He died of cancer within 28 days in every organ in his body. I'm convinced God took him out. Leadership is nothing to mess with. It's not to be fouled with. It's not to be circumvented. It's not to be to be. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's, it's not to be repressed by your own personal selfish desires. It's to be submitted to. It's to be obeyed. That's, that's, that's the line here. I'm, I'm convinced that God forgives a lot of mistakes because I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, and I'm still walking. But he doesn't put up with intentionality. You intentionally harm the church just a bad thing but anyway i didn't really mean to get way off into that but but he says he says here he says that that inward groaning um that that a leader suffers it's not good for you if that happens it's just not good for you it's not healthy for you you're going to be stand accountable the elder the elder will not stand accountable for you having caused the inward groaning you will that's what he means when he says it's not beneficial to you. Jesus expressed this in his, his ministry in Luke chapter 13, verse, verse 34. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered you, uh, gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. There's there's the answer here. So the first the first the first command that he gives is to to obey and to submit. And then secondly, he says his his and this is actually a command, even though it's a request. He says, pray. That's the, that's the next thing. He says, pray for us. And, it, and literally, this is keep on praying for us. It assumes. He assumes here in this command that the people within this assembly are praying for their leadership. And I would say to you that all of us should be doing that every day for our leadership. I think I may miss a day here or there, but most of the time I pray for each one of them by name every day. Because I know the reality of what they have to do, of their job. And this is, this is what it says, keep on praying for us. And it's in the form of an imperative. Uh, the church leaders, the elders, and, and, and the pastors, the elders, uh, the whole staff, they need to be prayed for daily for their work's sake. And for their mental stability, quite frankly. Uh, that, they, that, they, that, they, that they can stay strong. And, and we need to remember, too, what the Scripture tells us. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 and following. What does it tell us? It tells us that they are a grace gift from Christ. Understand that? You know, one, of has, one of the gifts God has given you? Our leadership. That's who they are. They're a grace gift. That's, that's what the Scripture says. Yes, 
They are saved sinners just like the rest of us. They are not, they are not perfect. They might be fallible. They, they, uh, they can fall into temptation. That's why they need our constant prayer because they are the first ones attacked. In my years of church leadership, I know that. If somebody's upset with you, they attack usually your family, your wife, your children. That's, that's, that's who the, they'll aim their attack at. Uh, those, those kinds of things. And, and more so than any other believer, that's, that's the reality. Leadership has its downside. That's its downside. Its upside is the joy of seeing people walking in the Lord, which overweighs all of it. A compromised church leader uh, will be weakened. He'll weaken the entire assembly. So they need to be in continual prayer. Paul, he requested prayer. Ephesians 6, 19. Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. You know, you stop and you read the scriptures and your impression of Paul, at least my impression of Paul is, this guy never missed an opportunity to open his mouth about Christ. But here he's saying, pray that I will and I'll do it boldly. Maybe he had some fear and trepidation once in a while, too. You know, it's needed. That prayer is needed. Leaders need prayer. That's, that's the point he's making here. He says, pray. And he says, for, and here's the reason, once again. <clears throat> for, we are sure that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Now, there's a note that we probably need to make here. The author um, the author was obviously once associated with this congregation, is now separated from it. We don't know why we're not told. We don't know why he's away from it. He's not with the congregation. He was, he was, a, was and maybe is a leader in this congregation, but he's not with it right now. Based on the overall content of the, of the book and given the warning passages, we probably can assume that any trouble he had with this congregation stemmed from the fact that he was probably the lead proponent of telling them the Old Testament ritual system was done. Jesus Christ was the high priest and all, sal- all, all salvation is vested in him and not through the works of the flesh. I, I suspect that's probably part of it because a part of this congregation was still trying to hold on to Judaism and he was the one pushing to separate them. Uh, so much of the teaching on the priesthood and, uh, and the Levitical system um, are, are a part of that. And in fact, uh, this book, uh, this book um, probably does more this New Testament book has more on the, demo, uh, the end of the Old Testament system than any other book in the New Testament. Uh, it, it's, it, that's what it's about. It's about putting that all to rest. It's about who Jesus is. Jesus is better than anything. Or everything, excuse me, not anything, everything. That's, that's, that's what it says in this book. And he says, we are sure we have a clear conscience. He's saying, I know my conscience is clear. I know I testified rightly before you. I, I can stand before you and say, I have done what is right in the sight of God. That's a powerful statement, incidentally. I know I've done what. He recognizes that some of the readers are uneasy with his instruction, but the author knows his conscience is clear. Uh, 
One, uh, in fact, here, here one commentator said this, nowhere in the New Testament is the break with the traditions of the Old Testament era spelled out so clearly as in the epistle of Hebrews. That, that's what he did, the break with the Old Testament. And understand, these are, these are Jewish people that he's telling this to. The author, the author's, uh, the author here is, his task is to explain God's progressive revelation to the readers. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to make them understand, yes, the Old Testament system was there to point you to Christ, but Christ has come. That system now is past. It's fulfilled in him. It's fulfilled in him. That's what the book has been, has been saying all the way through. And he says here, pray for me that my conscience is clear. I did this with purity. I stand above reproach. That's, that's, that's what he's wanting them to understand. And then he's going to go a second time in verse, in, uh, we're going to end early, I guess. In verse 19, he says, I urge you more earnestly to do this in order that I may restore to you soon. The re- the, he, re- he requests prayer again, and here he's specific to being restored to them, that he might be back among them, that he might, he might be back taking his role as a leader within this assembly <clears throat> once again. He's asking the church to ask God for him, for a speedy restoration. That's, that's what he's looking to here. As we've gone through this book, the author has explained carefully how Jesus fulfilled all of that Old Testament regulation, how he, he, in fact, has replaced it, how, in fact, he is much better than it, that it is, it is not even to be compared to the glory that we have in Christ Jesus. He is our high priest. And he's not a high priest who enters a temple once a year alone. He's a high priest who's seated at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. And one day is coming again to take us home. Any comments or questions this morning? I think I'm done. Well, we will, we will close out the book next week, uh, the uh, benediction, which the benediction kind of really follows right out of verse 19. So we will, we will, we will do the benediction in verse 20 and 21, and then we will look at the, uh, the conclusion in the final, final verses next week. And then, uh, then we will start First Peter the week the week thereafter. So, yes. Just a quick kind of side question: When it comes down to doing church leadership discipline, is it like it is with a congregational member, where it's like one person, then three people, and then it goes to bigger group? Like, is there some sort of provision like that, or is it on a specific? Well, the what? Yes, that that plays on, and then the bonus feature is is First Timothy five seventeen and following. Where, where, if it's found to be true, right. if he, if he has, if he is in whatever situation, then the discipline is, public. is public. Whereas that discipline, you know, it really steps. It really steps some of the steps of Matthew eighteen because you don't, uh, you don't. Uh, 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 you, you take it to the when you take it to the church. That's really the determining point, right? Then it's not. There's nothing. It's there. There. There's what you do. And you do it publicly. Why? Because the elders serve publicly. You know, they stand before the congregation. So when they 
fail, they stand before the congregation to answer for it. That's that's the that's the point. You know, the average congress, congress, uh, the average congregational member, you don't necessarily stand them up before the whole congregation. You know, but an elder, you do. That's. That's, but otherwise, yeah, it's pretty much, just, pretty much the same. I mean, if you have a problem with an elder, you probably ought to go talk to him first and, and see if you can't work it out. 99% of the time, if these men are truly elders, you're going to work it out really quick. You know, it's going to be a misunderstanding. That's usually all it is. But sometimes those misunderstandings. I, I had a friend um, that I went to seminary with, took a little church out in the country, kind of a country church. It was a small church. And, uh, uh, you know, he, he was determined, put his head down, went to work. You know, that's what he did. And uh, uh, he didn't have a lot of leadership around him. Like I said, it was probably 20, 25 people. I preached in it once or twice for him. And, uh, in fact, he's the guy I helped ordain. Um, but uh, I led the ordination council. But he... Uh, um, Somewhere in the midst of things, he had two families, and the two most prominent families in the church, and they got into a fight. They got into a fight over money. And he did everything he could to, to try to reconcile it, you know, try to get them to, to do what the Bible says to do. And they literally ripped the church in two and ended it, that fight. That's, that's what happened. I just, I just remember he was bemoaning to me what had happened, and he says, uh, basically, he went through, I did this, and I did this, and I did that, and I did the other thing, and, and it still fell apart. And I said, so God owed you? Mm-hmm. You know, he changed his tune. <laughs> he kind of he got what he was saying, you know, at that point. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's, just, that's just what happened. Now, this wasn't an elder situation, because they weren't elders, but, but they were the most prominent people in the church. So it just kind of... Which is sometimes a problem, and, you know, when people see people that way. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, it's just, leadership is a hard job. It's a hard job. It's a very hard job. It's why it's, that's why it says you have to desire the work. You know, that's why you don't go out and say, say to someone, say, oh, why don't you come on the board? We could use you. You know, you don't do that. You know, the guy has to desire. That's the first thing he has to desire to want to be there. Then he has to meet these very stringent qualifications that, quite frankly, are somewhat scary when you look at them. To stand before God and say, yeah, I meet that. (laughs) No, probably not. Not completely anyway. Should be moving toward them. Let's close. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this time we've had together. We thank you for this time we've been in the book of Hebrews. And we, as we come to its close and its final, its final, its final prayer of benediction and its final greetings, we, we just ask that, uh, uh, that you would keep it on our hearts, that we would, understand, uh, we would understand the Christ whom we serve, who he is. He is our high priest. He is the sum total of... Uh, of all the Old Testament law rolled into him, he fulfilled it and he brought it to pass. And salvation is now now ours through him and the door to heaven is open. Access to God has been made. Uh, we thank you for that. And we, we don't even 
really know how to comprehend the fullness of that in this life. But we thank you and we praise you and we ask now that you would bless this group, bless us as a church, bless our leadership as we move into our worship time. Uh, Give our pastor a voice, uh, give Pastor Darren the leadership ability over leading us in worship. And we would just thank you and praise you for this time in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.